Our first reading comes from Isaiah, the 44th chapter. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me there is no God. Who is like me? Let them proclaim it. Let them declare and set it forth before me. Who has announced from of old the things to come? Let them tell us what is yet to be. Do not fear or be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? You are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? There is no other rock. I know not one. Here ends the reading. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 13th chapter. Jesus put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to someone who sowed good seed in his field, but while everybody was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared as well. And the slaves of the householder came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? He answered, An enemy has done this. The slave said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he replied, No, for in gathering the weeds, you would uproot the wheat along with them. Let both of them grow together until the harvest, and at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Collect the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Then he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples approached him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. Jesus answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man, the field is the world, and the good seed are the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are collected and burned up with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will collect out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all evildoers, and they will throw them into the furnace of fire, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Let anyone with ears listen. This is the gospel of our Lord. Grace and peace to you, sisters and brothers in Christ. Here in the middle of a series of parables from Jesus on topics like seeds, plants, gardens, farms, harvests, and so on, I feel as though I've been uh, painted into a, a corner. I'm at a bit of a disadvantage because many, probably most, almost all of you, are more familiar with the kind of things Jesus is talking about than I am. So that leaves me to wonder, and I have to ask you, if you've come upon weeds in your flower bed or vegetable garden or farmland, has it ever crossed your mind that an enemy might have put those weeds there? Like 
somebody competing from up the road knows how they're going to win one over on you. They're going to keep yields down and prices high by sabotaging their neighbors by sowing the seeds of weeds right into the rows of their field. Not likely, I'm assuming. But then again, I suspect within the confines of this parable, Jesus does not mean that the slaves are surprised to find the, the normal sort or amount of weeds. Instead, this is something like where one plant is supposed to be, there is another. In that row of domesticated grapes, wild grapes are springing up. Or where grain ought to be springing up, there are inedible weeds right there next to them, ready to choke them out. The one who sowed those seeds, the good seeds, he knows what he's doing. He knows what to expect. So when something goes awry, he is rightfully confident that those errors must be the fault of someone else. Now, we all know that feeling. It's very relatable. I couldn't have made a mistake. But Jesus is justified in that level of confidence we usually are not. Someone prepared the field as it ought to be prepared. Something went wrong, and the sower knows for sure it must have been an outside force that caused the problem. We're talking about some idyllic situation in which an evil outsider came in and ruined everything, or at least robbed us of that ideal. So who was it, and who is to blame? Well, three thoughts on this. And the first is to remind ourselves, we, by design, intuit, at least to some degree, our nature, the nature of the world, the nature of God. We are born into this world with some of those impulses ready to direct us toward God in this life. Sin corrupts, and that corruption affects our thinking, but the intuitions are in there. And one of them, uh, rightly placed in us, and again, corrupted by sin, is the sense that evil comes from somewhere else. Cosmically, evil doesn't belong. Eternally, evil does not belong. Even philosophically, evil does not belong. There is a good God who created a good universe, a good world, and filled it with good land, good people, good everything else. And yet, what do we find Somewhere out in the distance comes this curveball, and it just doesn't stay good. At least we don't observe it as good. And we know deep down that things ought to be, or at least they ought to be better than they are. And at the same time, we can't shake this feeling that things are not only not good, but probably getting worse. Now, part of that is just growing up. When you're young, most of the cares are on someone else's plate, right? Even if you're pretty independent, say from a large family, more than you realized was tended to by the adults as you were growing up. And as you grew, your responsibilities grew and your awareness of the world grew with it. And the more these things grow, the more this sense that things aren't as good as they probably should be grows too. Because you remember when things, at least for you, were at least simpler, if not better. But to this overarching point, this instinct in us, it's from the very seeds of creation, the seeds of the logos, God's word embedded in us and in everything else, 
again, to direct us toward God, we know that evil does not belong here. And yet, in our sin, we don't go looking or pointing at some cosmic outside force, not typically, some force which God permits to exist for a time for some purpose. Maybe we'll figure it out, maybe we won't. We instead take that intuition, that instinct, and go looking somewhere else, somewhere a little easier, somewhere a little closer to home, but not too close to home. It must be someone that we can blame. And the only person I'm sure is not to blame is me. And if not me, probably not people like me either, which only leaves one set of human beings that are safe to blame for this not good, this evil in our world, and that's people not like me. Knowing this, when we get that sense that the world, the country, the neighborhood, it's going down the tubes, and we want to blame someone, maybe it's people from a particular place, people who vote a certain way, people whose lives, private or public, are just so different. It's unimaginable how different their lives are from my life. Well, we need to fight that instinct. It's a corruption of the instinct within us. Those people that we might blame are made in the image of God. They are loved by God. Christ died for them. Now, I hope I know what you're thinking. What about those children of the evil one then, the ones Jesus mentioned near the end of the reading? Well, put a pin on that for now. We've got two more observations on the evil coming in from the outside to get through first. It's fitting that this second thought comes from a group outside our own group. See, in our group, the majority of Christianity defers to St. Paul in his letter to the Romans in explaining that evil came into creation as a matter of the fall from the story of Adam and Eve. The devil, disguised as serpent, tricks them into disobeying God, and that idyllic good time in the garden comes to an end. Now for now, now for now, consider an alternative biblically-based view that is common among our Jewish siblings. The traditional teaching, or at least a traditional teaching there, is that the introduction of the Nephilim in Genesis 6, that's the source. You know, humanity had already committed some sin by then, yes, of course, but things change when Nephilim show up. These are cosmic beings of some sort, depicted as giants. And Genesis 6 says they procreated with humanity, and this produced these legendary figures of myth. And that's not the only change, though. Remember what comes next. Humanity became so vile, so sinful, so dishonorable, that God sees this whole creation exercise as no longer good, at least not the human part. Evil is so far gone, it's so rampant, that humanity appears irredeemable. At least in this world, at least at that time, the only solution is to blot it out. So that story, the story of the Nephilim, introduces Noah's story. And I think we'd be splitting hairs if we had any real debate over which is a better story to, say, describes the origins of evil. But I'm struck by how they both satisfy that intuition that it's an outside force coming in. 
The serpent, if indeed the devil in disguise, must have come from outside the garden. The Nephilim, it says explicitly, are from outside our realm. But in our humility, maybe we take a step back and recognize that in both cases, whether it's Genesis 2, 3, or Genesis 6, humans responded to that outside evil, not by fighting against it, but by embracing it. So much so that the most righteous among them by the end of those stories is Noah and Lot, who are far from perfect. Third thought then, and then the final word goes where it belongs. It comes from Jesus. And when he explains this story, he cites the devil as the outside force that sowed the seeds of those weeds. And the weeds are, again, a stand-in for the children of evil. The devil, Hasatan, literally in Hebrew, the accuser or the adversary. He serves as a prosecuting attorney in the heavenly courts. He's the one who points out our sin and tries to convince us and each other and God that we are unworthy, unworthy of life, love, salvation, you name it. And I said earlier to put a pin on the idea that those children of evil are the ones we might blame the world's problems on. And here we see why maybe not. The school of thought which the devil champions is that school of thought. It's one of accusation and denunciation. The very thought that someone out there is unlovable and unworthy is the poison of the mind which the devil introduces into our lives. Because again, whoever they are, Christ died for them. And if Christ died for them and the devil says they're guilty, who do you trust? Trust Jesus' evaluation of the situation, not the devil's. Even, on, even our enemies are worth praying for. They're worth loving. They're worth being charitable toward. Moreover, these are not some outside group. The weeds are mixed in with the grain in our community, our country, the whole world. Again, not as some identifiable neighborhood down the street or some subculture mixed in or some voting block. In each and every one of our tribes, wherever you draw those boundaries, big or small, that community has judgment and evil within it. But for now, let's bring this to a close with the way it ends, the way the parable ends, the way the reading ends, the way humanity, the world, all our judgments, our charitability, all of it, the way it all ends, a time comes when the workers are set out to reap the harvest and remove the weeds. So it's not that no evil exists and everyone's innocent and we all just carry on pretending that things are good when they're not. It's just this. Vengeance is the Lord's. There are no other gods. And that exclusion applies to us too. We are not God, and it is not our place to judge as if we were God. When the time comes, God will separate, reward, and punish as God desires, because the God of mercy and justice is the only one fit to make that judgment. That is the long and short of the situation we find ourselves in, the situation which Jesus describes in this parable. God knows what God is doing. 
Creation is fundamentally good and so is humanity. We are to treat each other with dignity and love as the good things made by God and in God's image. The sense that there is evil intertwined in us, in ourselves as individuals, in our communities, in our world is true. And God has a plan to root that evil out when the time comes. Amen.